millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Star Wars 7x7 episode 2898. As we do our deeper dive into episode 4 of the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, the one that we're calling Staring Contest, I wanted to talk with you about something that seems to be now becoming more prevalent in Star Wars storytelling. It's something that has been happening in other fandom storytelling situations, but it seems like the Obi-Wan Kenobi series is bringing it to a new height. Punch it. Hey Rebel Rouser, I'm Alan Voivod and this is Star Wars 7x7, your daily dose of Star Wars joy and thank you so much for joining me for it. So the thing that I'm thinking about as we do this deeper dive into Staring Contest, aka Part 4 of the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, is this sort of Easter egg culture that we have developing in various fandoms and I would say that it's happening in the Obi-Wan Kenobi series at a level in which we haven't seen in previous Star Wars storytelling. Now, part of this is just outright Easter eggy stuff that you know is very clearly intentional. Like when Obi-Wan Kenobi finds out that the Fortress Inquisitorius isn't just a fortress, it's a tomb, and he passes by all of those encased Jedi. And you know, you know, like as you're looking at them, you're like, are these people supposed to be familiar to us? Like, should we know who everyone is that's encased in this amber fluid? And the answer, I guess it turns out, is both yes and no, in the sense that there are some familiar faces, potentially familiar species, certainly, and additionally, there are faces that are brand new to us. And I think part of the whole you know, tension of that situation is that, yeah, we have the opportunity to identify, oh, these particular Jedi didn't survive Order 66, and also there are new faces where we're like, oh, we hadn't even thought about them or we hadn't even heard about them. Could they possibly show up in future storytelling? And whereas Star Wars has had a little bit of that sort of thing in other storytelling, it's not really that prevalent when you compare it to, say, like the Marvel movies, for example, where <laughs> one of the you know bigger critical qualms with them has been that it's really all about setting up whatever the next movie is, almost making the current movie an afterthought of sorts. And Star Wars has done, you know, a little bit of this and that here and there from time to time. And certainly they talk about it a lot with the High Republic when Daniel Jose Older says everything is something. And so there are lots of little Easter eggs and other things being dropped in there that have meaning for future storytelling down the line. But it hasn't really been prevalent in Star Wars storytelling the same way that it is, say, in Marvel movie storytelling, where some of the, you know, <laughs> more common criticisms, more recent criticisms being levied recently against, you know, Marvel Cinematic Universe movies and TV series is that a lot of it is more about setup of whatever's coming next rather than fully concentrating on the story that's being told right in front of us. I know that's a rather curmudgeonly <laughs> way for critics to be thinking about that sort of thing, but, you 
you know, like the argument does have a little bit of merit, but back to the whole issue of who those Jedi are. And I'll post a link to a Den of Geeks story by Megan Krauss where she said that fans have been theorizing about various Jedi that were encased there and she's got it all documented. So you can check that out if you like. And that's the more obvious Easter eggy stuff where, as it turns out, as I was doing that search, I ended up also pulling up by, apologies on the name, Dias Johnston, writing for Inverse, the you know names of three Jedi who appear in graffiti on the walls inside the safe house on Mapuzo. And so the story is, oh, well, these Jedi survived Order 66. That, of course, presumes that it's these Jedi that were writing their own names on the walls and not necessarily writing the names of other Jedi who they might be memorializing, for example. So, yeah, maybe there's a little bit of a logical leap there that's happening. But of the three names that are mentioned on the graffiti in that safe house, the most interesting one is Valen Halcyon. And Halcyon, you know, I'm pretty sure the pronunciation on that. Valen, who knows? But Valen Halcyon, that was his Jedi name before he escaped the Great Purge in Legends and took on the name Hal Horn. And the reason why that matters is because Hal Horn is the father of Corrin Horn, who is the protagonist of the Rogue Squadron novels. And ah, now we start to wonder about Patty Jenkins' Rogue Squadron, which we know is supposed to be drawing from them as inspiration. Doesn't necessarily mean that Corrin Horn or any other characters in Rogue Squadron novels are going to appear in her storytelling. But, you know, it's one of those things where you're like, oh, like, do I need to be paying closer attention to this sort of thing? And then there's the Easter eggy stuff that's like kind of out in the open and it's almost not really Easter eggy. It's almost more like, you know, the, the whole you know, stories like poetry and they rhyme sorts of situations. And I caught myself doing a little bit of this and documenting a little bit of this as we were having conversations about previous episodes in the Kenobi series. And I caught myself documenting it again where I saw it in part four. Things like how interesting it was that Obi-Wan Kenobi was swimming underwater with one of those little breath things, which is exactly what he did in The Phantom Menace. And as it also turns out, that is how the heroes of Jedi Fallen Order infiltrated the Inquisitorious Fortress on Nur as well. Then there's the scene where Leia's getting rescued by Obi-Wan in that little torture chamber, and someone pointed out on Twitter, and Sam Witwer actually retweeted it and commented on it that it looked rather similar to events that happened in the Force Unleashed video game. Then you have the tracker thing. And this is one of those where you're like, well, is it just coincidence? Or was somebody actually thinking, oh yeah, I can make this link? Because Reva, of course, puts the tracker in Lola, so that way they can find out where Obi-Wan is. And this is how Vader hears about this tactic. And then nine years later, in A New Hope, he's going to get the idea to put a homing beacon on the Millennium Falcon to be able to track them to the Rebel base. So is that a coincidence or you know like in episode three when obi-wan and vader have their first fight <laughs> and at one point obi-wan you know destroys this thing to make like a dust cloud or a, you know some sort of smoke cloud appear to disguise where he is and to run away from vader and so then in the empire strikes back you get that scene in cloud city where luke and vader are fighting and <laughs> luke manages just to slice you know some conduit tube and sprays vader with a bunch of smoke and he says obi-wan has taught you well right like was he referring to what happened in part three of the obi-wan kenobi series like is 
Is that the sort of, you know, retconning or backconning that's happening for real? Then you have Leia resisting Reva's mind probe in the same way that Ray resisted from Kylo Ren in The Force Awakens. You have that sound of the Imperial probe torture droid that happens where, you know, Leia has that happen to her in A New Hope. And then, of course, my particular favorite, which has to do with the T-47s, and in Empire Strikes Back, they were having trouble adapting them to the cold. In Obi-Wan, they have trouble even considering them as anything but sewage haulers. So I think I'm starting as a result of all this. Like, you know, there was a point at which, you know, when I started the podcast, I thought to myself, this is a vehicle where we can talk about all Star Wars storytelling that's happening because the canon was being rebooted. So we had a clean slate and we could talk about all this brand new stuff because we could all kind of wrap our heads around it. And I think now we're getting to the point where maybe that opportunity is slipping from us a little bit. And so thankfully, there are people who are specializing in in their own particular eagle-eyed venues and we all have access to this on the internet and on social media now. But in a way, it's almost like we're reinventing a new canon classification system. So if you recall from the Expanded Universe, and I think this originated with Leland Chi, there was a G canon, which was anything that came from George Lucas, and then underneath that was the T canon, which was anything television series-wise, like the Clone Wars, and under that was C canon, which was continuity canon, and then there was S canon, which was secondary canon, and then there was N canon, which was non canon so like you know think the lego storytelling for example or like the star wars infinity stuff those are the what if stories that we actually talked about a little bit last year but that hierarchy was about trying to maintain some storytelling integrity if you will and saying that you know if there was something in c canon that contradicted g canon then g canon won out for example and so you know it was sort of a very you know pyramidal, you know, top-down way of looking at things. And it seems like that's kind of been inverted now with the way storytelling is now because now we've got this, you know, very wide entry point at the top instead where anybody can watch this stuff. But then, you know, as you get a little bit deeper, you see sort of the rhyming and the echoes with other storytelling. And then you get a little bit deeper and you see, you know, the faces of characters encased in amber and you think, oh, you know, some of those people look familiar. Isn't that interesting? And then you get really down to the bottom and you've got like arabesque carvings on walls that are blinking. You'll miss it moments inside stories in your head and to the internet or getting your you know, little cheat sheets out to translate these things, which I love doing. <laughs> And I'd love to know what you think about this too. So if you're catching the video version of this, then there's only one place you'll be, and that's YouTube. So please leave a comment on this one and let me know what you think. And if you're catching the audio version of this on your favorite podcast app, well then please head over to the blog post for this show's episode at sw7x7.com and drop a comment there. I would love to hear from you and continue this conversation. And that is going to do it for this episode of the show for our deeper dive into part four of the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, aka Staring Contest, <laughs> and it just remains for me to say thank you so much for joining me for it as always, and may the Force be with you wherever in the world you may be. Star Wars 7x7 is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox, and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items, are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited, other respective trademark and copyright holders, may the Force be with them. All original content is copyright 2021 by Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it.